this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Sam Goodman, the Hot Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hot Nerd Podcast, live from the sunny and the beautiful downtown Phoenix, Arizona. Before we jump into this thing, make sure you head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media at The Hop Nerd, except for Twitter. It is super duper special. It is The Hop Nerd 1. Make sure you slide into the DMs. Send me an email, thehopnerd at gmail.com. Use the handy dandy Hop Nerd phone number listed down below to send me a text, give me a call, leave me a voicemail, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you can really find a lot of stuff that I'm putting out. I'm pumping out a lot of content, uh, especially on LinkedIn. I'm trying to deliver some articles. I'm trying to give you some some valuable stuff. So please go over there, follow along. Make sure you follow along at the Hop Nerd company page on LinkedIn as well. So today is going to be super cool. So after weeks and weeks and maybe some more weeks of trying to connect I finally got to connect with Hugo Ribeiro, uh, and we finally got together on a Zoom call and got to have a little bit of a chat. So Hugo is an EHS and S manager uh, down in Brazil, down in South America. Um, he works for an Israeli, I believe it's a chemical company uh, down there, and he is just a wealth of knowledge. He is an extremely well-educated person. He is an engineer. He's also got a... a, a uh, BA uh, in business, just just tons of stuff. And his perspective is really unique uh, because he is at the practitioner level. Uh, and I think what's really cool about this for me is he kind of turned the tables on me and he was like, uh, hey, I'm going to ask you some questions. <laughs> and that's what we did. And I think it came out really, 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 really good. Um, I was not prepared. So you get to hear me just kind of spitball on some, on some of these questions, but I look forward to having you go back on, um, at some point it's going to be really, really cool because it sounds like he's going to be in Houston, um, for the, uh, the, the human performance hop conference thing that's going on there. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's the hop summit. Somebody let me know if I'm right or wrong. I think it's the hop summit. It's in Houston, Texas, uh, but he's going to be there. I'm going to try to be there. I hope we'll see. Um, if, if my schedule clears up, I'm going to try to be there as well. Um, so maybe, maybe we can all get to meet there and have one gigantic happy family podcast. That would be kind of cool, but I'm going to quit rambling. I'm going to quit being a dork and I'm going to let you get down into this conversation of me and Hugo Ribeiro talking about human and organization performance, uh, me getting grilled and questioned. It's going to be awesome. Here we go. But okay, I can, so if, whenever you want, so I, I will ask some questions and you can give sure. uh, your opinion and we can talk and whatever. So yeah. you want to start by me introducing myself? So yeah. you are going to, yep, you could just, just... So you, you need to do, you need to do the same because I, I have shared this podcast so some folks, they cannot. It's going to be weird for your podcast right. presenting yourself. <laughs> well, I, I can, I can, I can start. Send that. me I, later. Yeah, I'll gladly. Yeah, I'll definitely send it to you. Um, what I can start by introducing myself. So I'm Samuel Goodman. 
Um, Sam, everybody calls me Sam. If you, if you talk to some of the, uh, some of the folks that I, uh, that I interact with over in Australia, they call me Goody. It seems like that seems to be my, seems to be my new, <laughs> new nickname. So Sam Goodman. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a safety consultant by day and I call myself a recovery and safety consultant because I'm mostly into human and organizational performance now. And, and that's really, that's really what I do now is I'm the hop nerd. I'm a student of human and organizational performance. Um, I, I do all things human and organizational performance. And again, safety consultant by day, hop consultant by night, uh, podcaster, all in between, um, LinkedIn <laughs> article writer in between, <laughs> kind of a little bit of everything. So for me, a lot of it is just, uh, I, I really I like staying busy. I like interacting with people. So the podcasting, um, the, the, the stuff through social media, the writing, it's just a way for me to interact with different folks uh, and really continue to, to grow hop. Um, if I had to, to really summarize my mission as a, as a professional, it's just to try to make the world a better place to work. Um, so that's who I am. Do you want to you go ahead and tell everybody who you are? Yes, uh, I'm Hugo Ribeiro. It doesn't sound uh, English. It's a Brazilian name. So Hugo, not Hugo, as people call me in the U.S., I'm a, I have two bachelor's degrees, one in civil engineer, five years, and one in business administrations, wow. four more. Uh, and I like to, like, as I told you before, speak foreign languages. I speak French, a little bit English, as you can see, Spanish, and my native language is Portuguese. Uh, I work as a, a EHSMS manager for a, a Israeli company. Hmm. And I've been doing this hop journey for six years, um, mostly uh, by myself, studying my free time. I like reading a lot, and I got impressed by your work, and thank you for having me. No, uh, that's it. I think it's isn't it, pretty much summarizing. Isn't it awesome when you first kind of discover hop and you start reading stuff and you just can't stop? Yes, yes. I, I, <laughs> that was awesome because not too much material in, in Portuguese, actually nothing in Portuguese. So I had to start uh, on the, I, I gave, uh, I received a book from, from a friend from a company, mm -hmm. from the company. And it was the, the first book of Dr. Todd Conklin. And then I never stopped. And I, I've been reading all the, the Edgar Schein and, you actually not books yet, but a lot of good materials, and that's it. I never, I cannot stop because one thing is is bringing another and another, and, and we get more knowledge every time we read something. And oh, by the way, thanks for the the you gave in in your blog. I can I I don't know if it's a blog or something. I don't know how to call this, sure. but you have a lot of reference over there and I, I mean still reading almost everything but it's a good source so thank you for sharing this oh no absolutely that's that's one thing that I love to I love to share with people is that kind of general uh, not just books but places to find information um, because I, I started very similar to you down this journey um, someone just handed me a book and I you know it, it was actually, for me, it was a little different. I kind of started in the middle. Someone handed me the book Safety Differently by Sidney Decker. And I started reading okay. that, that thing, and I just couldn't stop. And then I kind of discovered Todd Conklin, and then I kind of discovered Edgar Schein. And then there's just so much stuff. Uh, and I try to share that stuff with, with as many people as I can just to, just to kind of do them that same service that someone, someone gave me when they handed me that book. 
because there's, there is a ton of great information out there. Um, just going over, cruising over to YouTube and searching Sydney Decker or searching Todd Conklin for those folks out there that, that aren't as uh, committed to reading, <laughs> you know, if they, they want to go watch something. <laughs> um, there's some really great YouTube videos that, that Todd has uh, that Sydney Decker has. That's just awesome introductory stuff. If you're looking for a place to start. Okay. So Sam, I know it's your podcast, but I want to address some questions because, you know, uh, I'm getting sure. started. So yeah. it's nice to hear from you. And the first one is, I always mention when I talk about hop to my friends or folks or, or whoever, I always mention the, the broken window theory mm -hmm. uh, to compare to the zero fallacy. Right. Uh, so the companies, and I want to make clear that it's not the company I work for, but in general, the companies, uh, they think that it's a good thing to keep the zero uh, as a, an indicator or something like this because they compare to the broken window theory. If nobody's getting hurt, it's nobody want to share something that right. went wrong. It, it's going to keep the place safer because, you know, zero, oh, I don't want to be the first to get hurt, but they don't think about reportability. So right. give me your thoughts on this, if you agree or not with me. Yeah, so but my problem with, with a lot of kind of the zero ideology uh, is kind of in the same thought process that you, you were going, I believe. Um, and my problem with it is, is that as we continue to drive towards zero, if you ask people to give you zero, they will ultimately give you zero. And that Perfect. zero that zero will not be real, though right? That zero, there's still stuff happening. The problem is, is that we've gotten to the point where people just won't tell us about stuff. And if folks can't be honest with us, if they can't be truth tellers in our organizations, then we never really get to the point of learning. And as we know, learning is really the only tool that we have in this whole pursuit of betterment and constant betterment. So if anything that's getting in the way of learning is bad for us. Uh, and I've found that that whole zero ideology gets in the way of learning. Um, and again, I, I think it's just that. I've seen this manifest in organization after organization. Uh, if, if we set a metric and say the goal is zero or the goal is four or the goal is seven, folks will deliver on that goal. Unfortunately, they just manage the heck out of it to make sure that that's the number that we get, right? So yeah. <laughs> um, so and, and there's there's a lot of other other issues with zero, but that's that's one of the main ones that I like to really draw organizations' attentions to um, is that, and the fact that zero, the whole point of zero is is most organizations believe that if you manage the little things, then you don't have to worry about big things. But unfortunately, that's yes. just not how the world works, right? The, the, yeah. the, the large-scale, um, catastrophic events, the, the, the fatalities, um, those usually don't come from the small-level, you know, lower-level events. They're really not predictive of those larger kind of black swan events. Um, if we believe that they are, then we have to get zero, right? If, if, we, if we truly believe that that 60, if we get 60 ankle sprains, number 61 will be fatal, then our whole goal is to try to minimize ankle sprains. But once we start to see <laughs> that, that that's not really how things work, then we can start to let go of that zero mantra. We can start to understand that a better goal is probably not killing people rather than just having zero injuries, right? Yes, I totally agree. But um, 
when we try to address this this concerns to the the bosses and they usually are uh, engineers as i am uh, we have as a response that what is not measured does not improve i'm pretty sure you have heard this already sure sure so what could we measure in order to not to prove, but to show our, our bosses that we are in the in the right path uh, in order to pro- to prevent fatalities or, or people getting sure. killed I, or, or hurt inside our companies. I think I think there's a couple of different interesting ways that you go, and I think the first place that you start with that conversation though is this: is you get them to understand that measuring output isn't really that valuable. Um, and if and again, you know, if you're it's a it's a tougher it's a it's a harder conversation, um, not not to pick on you engineers very much because I, I work in a company of engineers as well. You know? <laughs> <laughs> think things are very linear, right? We like to think of things as very linear, but unfortunately, when we start dealing with safety and that kind of stuff, it's not so linear. Um, so, really, where I'm going with that is really focusing on the input side, really paying attention to the input side rather than the output. Um, so I think that you can go down the path of measuring um, the presence of essential controls would be would be a good example, right? Um, yeah. If you have a, something like a lockout tagout program, um, measuring the fact that we go out and verify lockout tagouts, um, going out and and uh, again I like to stick with the essential controls, but there's another one that I'd seen that was pretty interesting that had to do with um, the use of the hierarchy the hierarchy of controls. Um, in which an organization had actually started measuring post-event uh, in and around the, the more catastrophic stuff, the, the, the stuff that had the potential to kill folks. They measured the quality of their actions to see, are we just writing new rules or are we actually creating robust barriers and essential controls? So I think there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about measuring the positive, but I think you really just have to convince them that there's more value in measuring the presence of something rather than the absence of something. And what that, what that looks like is going to be very unique to each, each organization. But I think you just have to start with that conversation. Number one, focusing on outputs doesn't fix outputs. You got to focus on inputs if you want to fix the outputs. Uh, and you do that by, measure, by, by measuring the presence of positives, not the lack of negative events. Yes, I totally agree. If you have started, uh, this this project, as I told you, six years ago in our company, and we, we found a lot of interesting things to measure on the positive side. Right. Uh, and something that always caught my attention, and I don't know if you agree, is, for example, in other fields, in other areas, like quality, we we measure uh, right in the first intent, in quality, in, in maintenance, uh, the availability of equipment, mm-hmm. and production volumes and everything that is positive stuff right. nobody measures what was bad or what failed right but right. our area is the only that if something goes wrong we are measuring right. <laughs> the bad the bad side of the thing right do you know do you have any explanation for this except for hop i never heard about any other company that is measuring positive things in ehs only Except for every every other field, they are measuring what happens. In our field, they are happening what, uh, you know, like like you said, the, the the negative side. Right, and it's it's that I think that it's um, trying to view safety as an outcome is is very easy, right? I think that's why most organizations end up in that space. 
um, because it sounds really simple that, well, we just stop bad things from happening. And if we measure the lack of bad things, then that means that we're doing really good. Um, but the problem is, is that even if we don't have bad things happening, our risk is still the same. Right, that's that's the that's the bigger aha moment that I've seen for for some of uh, some of folks as we have this discussion is that if, even if you get to that that zero number on that output side, your risk is still the same. Right? We still have just as much potential to harm, kill, or have catastrophe, uh, just by the nature of the stuff that we do. Um, I, I can tell you, you know, the the nature of the businesses that I am in and around, and and I'm sure this this rings true for yours as well is we have all the ingredients to have a catastrophe at any given time, right? I mean, it, it, it just, it takes the stars aligning and we could have a seriously large problem that could impact hundreds, if not thousands of people, right? Oh, yeah. So um, just, just understanding that piece is, to me is always really important um, that if you really focus on the input side, uh, then you really start to, to dramatically affect the output. But a harder conversation that I've had to have with organizations around this stuff, and it, it is hard, is the fact that um, understanding that measuring harder doesn't actually change anything. Yes. And that, that's, a, that's a tough right. one because I, I grew up in that same kind of school of thought that you just mentioned that you measure to, 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 to really manipulate change, right? Um, and we've just found that what, what really happens is the harder we measure – the more we manage the metric. So things will look yes. different on paper, but nothing really ever changes. Um, and again, the th right. And that's, that's the harder conversation to have with folks that are, that are especially very linear thinkers is understanding that, especially when we're talking about this kind of stuff, it's kind of warm and fuzzy. It's not so black and white. It's not so green box, yellow box, red box. It's really something that you feel, right? It's you almost measure by the way things feel out in the field. Um, but some of the more positive measures that I have seen recently uh, has been in and around learning. Just any way that we can measure the amount of quality learning that's taking place, I think is really cool. Um, I come from industries in which they, they love like these air count clocks, the ones they put up on the wall, you know, that says we've had so many days since somebody messed up. Um, <laughs> we, we, we really yeah. liked those a lot. And most of the organizations that I have been around have now taken those clocks and repurposed those um, without tying a metric to it, but saying, hey, our department has done 10 learning teams this year. It's been awesome. We learned a bunch of stuff. And it's just another positive way to say, hey, look, they're actually learning and making things better. And I think that's that's a cool yes. thing to put on the wall. And it's not so much, it's a measure, but it's not a metric, I guess is the best way to put it. Yes. Uh, another thing that I always have, another thought is that uh, I don't know if it's the same in, in U.S., but in Brazil, we have the consoles uh, that they put together the companies by field, like chemical, oh, really? engineering, construction, everything. And they have a, a kind of a rank that measures the companies by the number of incidents or days away or all this stuff. And so the leaders, they go to this events and they have a rank or something like this. Uh, and this puts some pressures on them. So... Do you think that this, I don't know if, as I mentioned, I don't know if in the U.S. is the same, but do you think this kind of approach on the concerts uh, does not contribute for, for this hub methodology implementation since they, they come with this pressure on getting better compared to the, 
to the competitors or the or in the industry to put their company in a better position. Right. And, and we, we have very, very similar stuff. You know, I, I kind of grew up in the contract world as a contractor uh, and, and our, our work was basically awarded by how, quote, safe we were on paper. Right. So what are what our incident rates look like? And those incident rates, obviously, same right based off of based off of recordability, based off of days away, based off of lost time, all that kind of stuff. I think as as we continue to evolve overall as industry, I think we'll start to see some of those things change. Um, will the the instant rates and all that stuff just go away? Probably not. But I think that we start to see them as less valuable and less telling because they don't really have a lot of context, right? I think I think that's the important part. I just had a conversation um, with somebody else the other day talking about something similar. That um, the problem is is that you know my instant rate might be higher than yours. Does that really tell you who's the safer company? And probably not so much, right? Because we can all, I can, I can think of a hundred examples of something that was a quote recordable injury that most organizations would panic over simply because it's recordable that really had no, no potential to really hurt someone that bad. The employee just received medical treatment, right? Something that was a little bit beyond first aid and the employee got the treatment that they needed. And now all of a sudden that's a bad thing when really that's not so bad of a thing, right? So, um, and we don't know if they are telling the truth on the numbers as well. You know, right. Since they have the rank, mm-hmm. why should I put my company in a bad situation reporting more than others? Well, you're exactly right. So you see that happen. I don't know how prevalent it is. It is over there. But for us, especially in the world of contractors where I mentioned, you know, work work is dependent upon you having low incident rates, right? That's, that's how most clients would choose a contractor is, okay, they're, they're, they're reasonable on price and they're the safest. So there, that incentivizes companies to really manage those metrics hard. And for us, for us, the way that you see that manifest is through case management. So managing the level of care that an employee receives, um, which again, can, can get into some really weird territory because at least here that you'll end up with a safety professional. That's really just a really good case manager. That's talking to a doctor and saying, Hey, you sure you have to put sutures in that? Or are you, are you sure, are you sure that they need, um, that they need a prescription medication? Are you really sure they need that antibiotic? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so what happens is, is you have the same, that... you have the same injury, but because someone's really good at case managing, it's just not recordable, so it doesn't yes. hit those numbers. So I, I guess what I'm saying with, with that kind of long rant on that is that I think, um, I think overall industry will wake up to that because it's just something that's being managed. It's not a really valid metric. It's really not telling us anything. Um, the, the problem really is is that we just end up managing that because we don't want to be on the bottom of that pile, right, and we don't want to miss out on work. Um, and so ultimately yes. the focus or the over-focus probably on those incident rates and those rankings, it just drives the wrong behaviors. I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, one more question that I have a personal example that my brother was, I probably shouldn't talk about it, but that's too late. Yeah. My brother was fired because he broke a, a golden rule mm, in the, yeah. the company he worked for, but it was, the easiest thing to do, you know, if I were him right. and I'm 10 years older and much more experienced than him, it was, I think, his first or second job. Wow. 
he took a wrong way. He was driving almost midnight on overhead. The gates were closed because everybody left and they didn't know he was there. Yeah. Uh, and he had not, no, no other way to go home, you know, so yeah. he had to, to take a, a wrong way and they terminated him by the cameras. Wow. And they said they sh he should go, you know, you should have done it differently, maybe going backwards or, you know, so it would be probably more risky doing this than what yeah. he did. But Okay, so I want to hear about you, about this, this golden rule. Do you think it's valuable? It's contributes for so, a better system? Uh, I have a really big problem with kind of the golden rules, the magical rules, the special rules, you know, which, 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 which whatever <laughs> we want to call them, because, and, and I'll start with this and I share this and it, it makes some people mad, but um, if we have so many rules that we have to make some of them special, we probably have too many rules. That's probably the first, <laughs> the first, yes. first thing. <laughs> if we've got so many rules that we got to make five or 10 of them, ones that we highlight, then we probably need to get rid of some of the other ones that are just fluff. Um, but my, my real beef with it is this, and then we can dive into your example a little bit is that usually those golden rules, we, those are usually the things that we know kill people, right? Those are usually yes. the things that we know are super bad. So what happens is when we make them special and we make them special by doing this, we say, if you mess up with them, we will fire you, right? They're so special that if you mess up, if you break them, no matter what, we will fire you. The problem that happens is, is if I accidentally mess up on one of those, what's the likelihood I'm going to tell you about it? I'm not yeah. right. I'm definitely not. not nothing. Right. And so what happens is we create silence around the stuff that we know will kill people. And that seems like a really bad place to, 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 to be blind. Right. So now all of a sudden, because they're so special to us and we want to beat people with them, if they mess up, we just stop learning about the stuff that can and will kill us. So that's, that's my, that's my real take on them. I just don't think that they're valuable. In fact, I think that they're quite the opposite. I think that they can be extremely harmful to organizations and probably cause you to lose a lot of valuable learning opportunities around the stuff that kills people. Um, I think in that situation, that, that is such an interesting example because it's such a perfect picture of context and trying to understand context. And yes. I think that that is the key point around anything that has to do with rules is I can just listen to that story and hear that the gate was closed. There was only one way. It's the end of the day. People left me here and I'm trying to get home. I know what decision I'm going to make and it's going to be the same one. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I think that's such an important thing for organizations to begin to realize is that context definitely drives behavior. It definitely influences behavior. And if you think about that situation, golden rule or no golden rule, 99% of people that were put in that same situation would have made the exact same choice, right? They would have made yes. the exact same choice. And I think that's the piece around those kind of, kind of rules that we really have to start to understand that when something happens uh, and it doesn't even sound like there was an outcome with that. Was, did that, did that result in anything or did they just see it on the camera? No, no, no. Just broke wow. a breaking rule and no okay. consequences at all. Wow. Because even usually we discover that stuff post event, right? So um, yes. And even there, even there, it's really important to, to start at this at, with this statement. I love sharing the statement with people is that it makes total sense, right? To the person involved in the situation, it makes complete and total sense. Um, the context is everything. When you hear there's only one way out and I'm tired and I want to go home again, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the other solutions of backing up and doing this and doing that, probably way worse of choices, right? Yes. So no, that, yeah, that and you, it, 
perfect statement you made, uh, and I'm gonna keep this with me and share with folks over here. You know, if if we have golden rules or whatever you wanna call, and if I mess it up, I'm not telling anybody, and so the company becomes blind about right. the important stuff. Yeah, perfect. Right, and you I know, totally agree. And, and that's 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 such a thing that I'm fearful of because we love to do that, right? Organizations love to do that. We love to to highlight those golden rules because it sounds like the right thing to do and it feels like the right thing to do. Yeah. but it's not really the right thing to do right at the end of the day it's the to press the, the easy button right and well so so much of this is just that we want to make sure that we create environments where honesty can exist right if yeah. if, if we want to learn we can't do anything that's going to harm openness and honesty we have to have situations in which people can say hey let me show you this i almost died let me show you what happened. <laughs> and then yes. as, as a company, we have to be in a position to turn around and say, thank you for showing me that. And that's yeah. a hard place for a company to get to because when we hear the, hey, I kind of sort of almost died and here's a rule that I had to break, we panic and freak out and then we want to beat people. <laughs> that's Because that's yeah. it feels okay. like the right thing to do. Okay, the last question from me. So uh, this is something that I always fight with uh, because sometimes I share this this concept with folks and they say that's exactly what I'm doing in my company or that's exactly what, what I think about so I'm doing this already and everything yeah. and you are going to check it's <laughs> it's not right, you know right. I know if you had me exposure to this situation or something similar but those cases are are the toughest one for me because you are saying A, the guy is doing B, and, and he says, no, that's the same thing. I'm doing exactly the same. Right. And so they think they don't need to change anything mm -hmm. in our job and becomes impossible. So have you been exposed to a similar situation? How to deal with this? A, a little bit. So I think for me, when I find those things, because I, I, uh, yeah, that definitely occurs. Um, I like to get people back to the basics when, when you run into those situations. Um, and what I'll do is I'll circle them back to the five hot principles, right? Okay. When, when, when they, when they're telling me that, that no, we're actually doing this. Well, let's look at it through the lens of these hot principles and do with what you're doing. Does that align with, 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 with the principles of human organization performance? And in those situations, it usually won't, right? If you have somebody yeah. that, that says, this is what we're doing, but we still think error is a choice and we still beat people for human error. And then you can kind of say, well, Hey, you know, blame doesn't really fix anything that doesn't really align with, with what I'm saying. And you can kind of push them in a little bit of a different direction with that. When, when you run into those challenging situations, when you run into those situations of, of anything similar to that, I think that's where you go is you just circle them back to the basics and the basics being the five, the five fundamental hot principles. Um, and I think that's where you can start to gain some ground because um, if they think they're implementing something, but they're not, then you kind of do have to just go back to the basics because they missed something <laughs> along the way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So no more questions for me. I want to thank you. I don't know if you have any question for me or if you want to know some, talk about something, but uh, this was clarifying. Always good to listen from people that, have similar thoughts on the concepts, not in the implementation. Probably we we can talk later about the implementation if we have time. But it was uh, really good for me 
having those informations for questions that I I fight with to get the better responses and and it was amazing having you and thanks for your time. No, I think thank you for thank you for putting up with my schedule. It took us what folks don't realize is it took us several weeks to actually <laughs> actually make, yeah, actually yeah, make yeah. this happen. The time difference got the better of us, I think. It was was, was part of it. Yeah, because um, I, I messed it up with, I think it was two hours. I, I messed it up too, don't worry. It was four. <laughs> I messed it up a few times too, don't worry. <laughs> Back to yeah. that whole human error is normal kind of thing, right? Um, but no, I think it was awesome. I, I think this was great. And I, I definitely look forward to do it, to doing it again. I think we definitely should try to plan to do something. I would love to, uh, I would love to just do this again and, and just talk implementation. I think that would be a really fun conversation to have. And I think folks would, I think it'd be very valuable to folks. Okay. Thank you. No, thank you, my friend. So what do you think about that? I thought it was a pretty cool conversation. Hugo, and I hope that I'm pronouncing that right because that was some of our pre-conversation that a lot of folks call him Hugo, but it's Hugo. So please let me know, Hugo, if I'm saying that right or wrong. <laughs> but I thought it was a really awesome, awesome conversation. I apologize. I don't know what was going on with the click in my part of the audio. I've been playing around with some different ways to record distance and for whatever reason it got a little bit of a click and then it seemed to kind of work itself out and then it seemed to kind of come back so um, I apologize I'll work on that audio quality Um, but either way the content I thought was phenomenal I look forward to having them back on I think that's going to be a really fun conversation on implementation make sure you head over uh, and check him out on LinkedIn I'll put a put a link uh, to his LinkedIn down below Uh, just an awesome person an awesome practitioner Make sure you let me know what you thought. Like it, love it, hate it, gotta have it, all that kind of stuff. Send me a text message, give me a call, leave me a voicemail, send me an email, thehopnerd at gmail.com. Head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Uh, follow along on all things social media, slide into the DMs, whatever way works best for you to talk to me. Talk to me because I kind of sort of love it. It's probably my favorite thing in the entire world. So until next time, this is Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, I'm Andy, and I started Harry's, the shaving company that's fixing shaving. At Harry's, we keep it simple. We make sharp, durable blades and offer them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We obsess over quality so much that we do crazy things, like buy a German razor blade factory. So give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for only 3 bucks with free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5.